So for those of you who are new, uh, we are currently in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon, which you can find in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, is where Jesus lays out a vision for what it means to be his disciple. Uh, he, he lays out for those who are going to follow him and says, this is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to be part of my kingdom. And this morning, Jesus is going to speak to us about these issue of worry and anxiety. And can we be a little honest about what we just heard Steve read? Do not be anxious. Does this not seem maybe just a little bit insensitive on Jesus's part? especially what we know considering things like mental illness. Do not be anxious. I mean, does Jesus not understand the struggles that we face in our daily lives? Does he not understand the the challenges we face in our jobs and with our children and paying the bills and all the medical issues that come our way? Is he indifferent to the pain and the suffering that we face? Well, Jesus is certainly being radical. He is painting with some bright and bold colors. Oh, he is not being insensitive. In fact, what Jesus wants for us is our freedom. He is calling us into something deeper and richer and more powerful than just being subject to the pain and suffering and anxiety of our world. He's causing us to question what it is that we put our deepest hope and security and faith in. And he's after our freedom. And so Jesus is not being insensitive here. Let's not miss that. But let's not also blunt his words. Let's not also try to smooth over what he's saying because what he is saying is quite radical. Now, some of you in here, maybe you're like, hey, I'm not an anxious person, so I don't find Jesus's words insensitive at all. Piece of cake, don't be anxious. Let me ask you this question though. Does that have to do with your faith Or more with the fact that you've just shut down emotionally. That you bury your anxiety. I'm not an anxious person. I just bury it. Some of us that that wouldn't claim to be anxious, the issue is not our faith. The issue is how we deal with anxiety and try to mask it over. And so Jesus has some things to say to us as well. Look, life is messy and painful. We are all weak and limited and sinful. And if you truly care about things in this world, you will recognize there are real threats. There are things that threaten what we love and we value most. There are threats to our security and our comfort and our identity and our happiness. And so we have to come to grips with the fact that we're going to face a level of anxiousness and worry. So let's all just have a moment of honesty and vulnerability and admit that we struggle. Admit that these things are part of our life and a part of our world. And let's let Jesus speak his words to us and allow him to challenge us and transform us. And here's the message for us this morning when Jesus speaks into the midst of our world full of anxiety. It's in an anxious world, disciples of Jesus seek the kingdom. And so let's look at what it means to face and address anxiety. So first, I want to speak to anxiety being a signal. Anxiety is a signal. So this is what I mean by that. At its basic level, 
all fear and all anxiety is a signal. It's a message. It's saying something that I treasure, something that I value is being threatened. Fear is a warning system in our bodies that kicks off our fight or flight response so we can respond. And on one level, this is good. If you're driving down I-80 and a car veers into your lane, your fear kicks in, fight or flight response, so you can move out of the way and avoid a wreck. You see your kid running into traffic or going towards a fire or some other danger, fear sets in, fight or flight, run, rescue them. So, so there are real threats, and, and the fear in our bodies is good because it helps us to respond to those things and protect what is important to us and what we value. Not all fear is bad. Anxiety, however, steps up the game. It is not a response to present danger. It is a response to what could be. It is fear in the future. It is responding this way. I may get into a wreck on I-80, so I'm not even going to get into my car. Anxiety is fear that is constantly anticipating the worst. It kicks on our fight or flight response even when we are not in the midst of danger. Anxiety is a signal that says something I treasure is always under threats by some potential harm. And so anxiety is a signal that exposes us. It exposes what we most treasure. It exposes what we most value. It exposes where we find our security and our comfort and our identity. And so anxiety in many ways is a signal we should be listening to. What does your anxiety tell you? If you listen to the things that make you anxious, what is it telling you about what you put your security in and what you put your hope in and what you put your identity in? Because anxiety is going to attach itself to our greatest treasures. It's going to attach itself to those things that we most want to protect, that we most value. And so anxiety is a signal we need to be listening to because it reveals our hearts. And Jesus points to this aspect of anxiety through Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And so let's consider what he says in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. The therefore at the beginning of that sentence is important. Therefore introduces a so what comment about everything that just came before. Everything that Jesus has just taught them, this statement in verse 25 is, that's the result. Therefore, do not be anxious. And if you remember from last week, if you were here in verses 19 through 24, Jesus told his disciples to not pursue treasures of this earth, treasures that are at the mercy of rust and decay, treasures that have limited glory and value and will pass away like the things of this earth. Instead, store up treasures in heaven, things that are eternal, things that will not pass away, things that are not at the mercy of rust and death and decay. And in telling them that, Jesus provokes a good question. You can almost wonder if one of his disciples sort of raised his hand and asked this. Hey, Jesus, if the investment of my money and my resources and my time and energy are to be directed towards heavenly things, things of eternal value, how am I going to pay the bills? What about my house? What about my food? What about my clothing? What about the things of life? 
How am I supposed to think about those things? What am I supposed to do about those things? And these are fair questions, especially if you consider Jesus's primary audience here. Most of his disciples were blue-collar workers. They were probably farmers and fishermen, probably some the equivalent of day laborers. And so for them, living paycheck to paycheck and providing for their families was a a real matter of life and death for them. Like they were one calamity away, one bad catch away from being at the mercy of suffering and not having enough. And so for them to ask this question of Jesus was, was fair, was understandable. And so to be clear, Jesus isn't telling them, hey, you know, just be a kingdom freeloader. Stop working. You don't need to work and provide for your family. God will just take care of you. Sit around, wait for heaven to come. It's not what Jesus is saying. But he is radically reorienting their priorities. He's radically reorienting the way they think about things, even like basic necessities, things you will eat and where you will live and what you will wear. Because as we also saw last week, sin has distorted our hearts so much that we will find our greatest security, our greatest comfort, our greatest identity in earthly things. Even things like our basic necessity, like how much money we have in the bank, how much food we eat, the clothes on our back, the houses we live in, how much of our time and energy and security are put in those things. In verses 19 through 24, Jesus calls his disciples to let go of those earthly sources of security, comfort, and identity. And what happens when you ask someone to let go of their security? Have you ever taken a security blanket away from a child? What happens? They're calm and and, and at peace with the world. You take that blanket away, anxiety and worry and angst. When, when I was a kid, I remember when I was learning to ride a bike, and early on, I'm, I'm not exaggerating here, I was a beast on my bike when I had training wheels on. I mean, I would zip down our driveway, down the street, I think I would like pop wheelies on my training wheels. Okay, that story might be a little exaggerated, but I remember being incredibly confident riding that bike with those training wheels, thinking I was, a, I was the man. And then when my mom wanted me to teach, wanted to teach me how to ride the bike without the training wheels, telling me all the, the ways that actually this experience will be better for me if I take these training wheels off, I went from this really confident bike rider to someone who was incredibly scared. Like I was timid. I wouldn't even go down the driveway without kind of, you know, walking your bike. You know how you do when you're learning? That source of security, my training wheels were removed. And when you remove the security, the things that I held on to, the things that you hold on to, that give you that sense of stability, oh, what happens? It exposes our anxiety. It exposes the ways that we are fearful, the ways that we worry, the things that we hold on to tightly because we're afraid if we lose them, our whole world will crash. And so Jesus tells his disciples not to be anxious because he knows that calling them to pursue the kingdom, calling them to invest in heavenly things, to put their time and their money and their resources, not in earthly treasure, is going to expose their anxiety. It's going to expose where they put their most 
security and comfort and identity. And church, in order for us to pursue the kingdom, we have to let go of those things that we find our security and comfort and identity in. In order to pursue the kingdom, we're going to have to let go of the training wheels and the security blanket of our bank accounts and our retirements, our job, our house, our, our toys, our food, our vacations, our ways of building identity and status through our own means. We're going to have to let go of those things if we are going to pursue the kingdom of God. And when we do that, whew, anxiety, whew, worry. Look, pursuing the kingdom will expose layers of anxiety that you have. It's unavoidable. But this is a good thing. Not that fear and anxiety are good things. They're not. But exposing our hearts in order for Jesus to set us free is a good thing. And so I wonder, and I have to ask this question, if you haven't experienced some level of anxiety and worry, have you really confronted your deepest sense of security and identity and comfort? Have you really gone deep enough and asked those questions? What really is my security? What really is my comfort? What really do I put my identity in? And this is why I believe some of you are more anxious than you think you are because you've never actually let Jesus challenge you. You've never let Christ come in and poke on those areas where you're putting your security and identity. And if he does, you just grab him tighter. Man, that's too much for me to to feel. That's too much for me to look at. That's too much for me to deal with. And so we just grab tighter. We go deeper into those things rather than releasing them. We can bury and avoid rather than letting Jesus expose us to set us free. Now look, I'm not saying we need to walk around anxious, worrisome people. That's not, that's not the point. The point is to let Jesus expose us so he can transform us. Let Jesus unsettle us so that he can establish us on something firm and true and eternal. And this goes back to well, I've used this phrase recently, and I'm starting to use a little bit more, this vulnerability with God. Like, this is where the rubber meets the road with vulnerability with God. If you can let God expose your deepest, darkest fears, where he begins to push on your deepest sense of security, and you have to open up and say, Lord, I have to trust you with everything. I have to let go of the things that I have built as my sense of security and trust you, and that is scary. But that's what it means to be vulnerable with the Lord. That's what it means to let him expose you to set you free. This is not easy. And sometimes it will get worse before it gets better. Sometimes things have to become a mess because we have to unlearn how to hold on to these securities and and the things of this earth and begin to hold more tightly to Christ. And so when Jesus calls us into trusting him, know that, hey, it's going to be messy. (laughs) It's going to hurt some. It's going to be painful, but it is worth it. Because the freedom he is leading us into is a true freedom. It is true security. It is true comfort. It is true source of identity. And so what is anxiety telling you? What signal is it relaying to you? 
that you need to listen to. So, knowing that we experience anxiety and worry, and that pursuing the kingdom will expose where we are anxious and fearful people, how do we deal with it? What, what do we do with all of that? But before we get there, I just I want to take a little bit of a, a caveat here to, to just address an issue that I think is important to address. Um, before we look at what Jesus has to say, I want to briefly frame this conversation within the context of mental illness, just, just briefly. That's a whole other sermon, but I want to just say a couple things because I know that is a real thing in our community. Much of our anxiety and worry are not matters of mental illness, but sometimes that is in play. Sometimes the brokenness in our brains, the brokenness in our bodies intensifies the anxiety that we feel. And this should not throw us as Christians. Why? Because we believe that we are physical beings. God has made our bodies. We also believe that sin has corrupted our bodies. We believe that our our bodies are prone to disease and to decay and to illness and not functioning properly. So it should not surprise us when our brains and our hormones go out of whack. And so there are times where our bodies, physiologically, that is in play with our anxiety. And it is right and it is good to address it from a physical standpoint. Sometimes it is just a matter, there's no direct cause of our own. It is just brokenness in our brains, brokenness in our hormones that are causing our anxiety and certain worries to just run haywire and our body is on overload. Sometimes it is our own giving in to anxious behavior to such an extent that it has taken on a physiological problem and created pathways in our brains and has thrown our hormones out of whack. Either way, it is not wrong to address these things from a physical standpoint. As a pastor, I want to be clear, as a pastor, I am not anti-medication. As a church, our position is not anti-medication. Now, be very careful with, that, with medication, because not all of it is good. Not all of it is helpful. We need to walk in wisdom. There are other ways to address it as well. There are things like hormone therapy and herbal supplements and even diet can affect some of these things. So whatever it is, just understand that sometimes we need to address things on a physical level. And the point also is that everything that, that I'm going to say here regarding what Jesus teaches us, can fit within the context of addressing things from a physical level. Because here's what we also need to understand. Even though there could be physiological problems that may intensify our anxiety, our anxiety is still attached to real things that we treasure and find our security in. Our anxiety doesn't exist in a a vacuum. We have to address our hearts as well. If we're only going at the physical, then we're merely covering the problem. Let me use this illustration to kind of help us understand a little more what I'm saying. Let's say I set up a security system to guard my house. And the system is so sensitive that even if someone drives by my house on the street, the alarm goes off and it calls the police. Now, I try to mess with the settings and it just isn't working. No matter what I do, it just isn't working. 
And so what I need to, I, I go in deeper into the system and find out, hey, there's some problems with the wiring. And so what I do is I fix the wiring and now I can adjust the system. And in many ways, that is what medication helps us do or other physical means help us do. Get into some of the wiring in our bodies so that we can address our hearts and address how our system is calibrated. If I only fix the wiring, but never adjusted the system, then I really haven't addressed the problem, have I? Oh, the wiring's great, but it's still setting off the alarm every time someone drives by. And that's what happens if we only address things from a physiological level. We're not going deep enough into the heart of things. We are both physical and spiritual beings. We're minds, we're bodies, we're souls. We have to address this comprehensively. And so church, all that Jesus has to tell us fits within our holistic view of the human body and who we are. Sometimes we need to address our bodies, but we always, always have to address our hearts. Okay, caveat over, move back into what Jesus tells us. How do we fight anxiety at the heart level? Well, anxiety is a signal we should listen to, but it is not a signal we should submit to. Say that again. Anxiety is a signal we should listen to, but it is not a signal we should submit to. No matter the type of anxiety you face, all anxiety carries this message. God is not good. God cannot be trusted. God will not care for me, or he isn't going to care for me enough. And so I have to run after my own security. I have to fill in the gap where God is lacking. I have to run after things that are going to make me feel grounded and secure in my bank accounts or in the comfort that I have or in my identity. I must build my own security because God is not going to. And look, there are a lot of threats out there. And so my anxiety is how I stay one step ahead of the game. And so anxiety wants you to submit to the signal that God is not good. It's the message that it is telling you and relaying to you. It is wanting you to submit to it so you run after earthly things to find security. And so the problem is, is that we too often submit to the signal of anxiety and believe that it is telling us true things. And so we need a counter signal. We need a counter message. We need an underground radio message, so to speak, of the gospel disrupting this signal and message of anxiety. And Jesus gives this counter message to his disciples to disrupt their anxiety. And so first, he calls us to consider the goodness and care of God. So in verses 26 and then 28 through 30, Jesus says this, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith. Want to battle anxiety? Consider birds and flowers. In other words, go for a walk in nature. 
Jesus isn't just saying, go get some fresh air, as helpful as that can be. He is pointing to two seemingly insignificant items to illustrate the love and the care of God. Consider the birds. They don't spend their day working and toiling in order to have enough. They don't occupy their time storing up in barns, as Jesus says. In other words, they aren't consumed with their bank accounts and whether they can pay the bills and whether they're going to have enough food. And yet, and yet, God cares for them. God feeds them. Tiny sparrows, they're a penny apiece. God cares for them. This shows the extent that God cares for his creation. This shows the extent in which God is paying attention. God cares for these little insignificant birds. How much more does he care for you, his child, his son, his daughter, those that he is in covenantal relationship with? And so Jesus is saying, hey, if God's attention and care is on something this small, what does that say about his care and attention for you? Consider the flowers, beautiful flowers in a field that only last for a season and then die and are cut down and harvested and used for fire or hay. If God clothes the grass, will he not also provide for you? And then to drive his point home, this is what Jesus says. Hey, you guys know Solomon, right? The greatest king who's ever walked the earth, who had more riches and more wealth and was clothed in amazing clothes. He's got nothing on the flowers of the field. Those flowers that get cut down and burned or used for hay are clothed more spectacularly than any king who has walked this earth. If God cares that much, if he's going to clothe grass and flowers, will he not care for you? Will he not clothe you in something far more beautiful? Is he not paying attention to your needs? So Jesus is calling us to consider that if God cares for these little things, will he not also care for us? And so what signal are you listening to? What message are you listening to? The signal of anxiety that said God isn't good and you have to build security for yourself or the testimony of nature that overwhelmingly screams, if God did this for us, how much more will he do for you? And here's the thing. It's not as if nature is unclear. Nature is very clear in its message. The problem, as Jesus says, is we have little faith. We don't have eyes to see. We're listening to the wrong signal and the wrong message. Oh, nature is evident. Nature is clear with its message to us. That God cares for us. God loves us. But if it's not enough for you, then consider who is speaking these words. Who is telling you about God's love and care? Jesus Christ, God the Son, who descended from heaven and put on the human body and walked with us, engaged our suffering, engaged our sickness, engaged our sin, willingly sacrificed his life for our rebellion so that we can be forgiven, who was resurrected and is now reigning over us, who poured out his spirit on us. His word and redemptive history testify to you that the riches of heaven have been poured out on you. God has spared no expense. And if if he will sacrifice his son, if he will offer up his most prized possession, will he not care for us?
If he has given us eternity, if he has given us heaven, will he not give us food? Will he not give us provisions? Will he not care for us in the small ways? And so are we listening to the signal that God is good, that God loves you, that God cares for you, that God is doing something beautiful and powerful and amazing in your life? And and here's, here's something for us that are walking with people that are facing anxiety. If you're anything like me, your go-to move is, hey, I'm going to rationalize things with you. Like, you're anxious about this thing. Let me tell you all the reasons you shouldn't be anxious. Reason. But here's the, here's the problem with that. And in some ways, that's okay. I don't want to completely dismiss that. But here's the, here's the limit to that, I should say. Look, I can't control circumstances. So things could go wrong. Like, sometimes things go badly. But is God still good? Even if things go badly in my life, is God still good? The rub is always going to be, do we believe that God is good? And so if you are walking with somebody who is battling anxiety, the best thing that you can do for them is remind them to listen to the signal, God is good and he's for them. Rather than trying to reason and rationalize with them, remind them of who God is. Next, Jesus calls us to consider the futility of anxiety and worry. In verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now this statement is meant to be somewhat of a gut punch to his audience. He says, Do not be anxious for these earthly things, because this is how the Gentiles behave. Gentiles, pagans, unbelievers, people that Jews would never want to be labeled as. But this is what Jesus is telling them. Hey, when you are anxious for these things, you are acting like those people who have no faith in God. You are behaving as if you do not believe in God. You are acting like everyone else and not the people of God. Chasing after earthly treasures and security, comfort, control, and identity. This is what our world does. This is what our world is wrapped up in and engaged in. People fret and worry and toil and fight. And to what end? To grab onto earthly treasures that will pass away. And Jesus calls his disciples and says, do not be like those that worry and toil and fret and fight for earthly things that just pass away and have no limited value and glory. Do not live like those with no faith. And here's where Jesus pushes hard on us. If this is what we are wrapped up in, if this is how, what we give our lives to, if, if, if this is what defines our time and our energy and our money and our resources, we have to ask this question. Am I following Jesus? At best, my faith is really, really weak and I am cherry picking my, my discipleship. At worst, I'm lying to myself and everybody else. And so we have to ask those hard questions. Does Jesus have our hearts? Also, anxiety, the signal of anxiety lies to us that it is productive, that it gains you something, that it is valuable to be anxious and worry. But it is a lie because it gains you nothing and changes nothing. 
As Jesus points out in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? It's a ridiculous question. Can all of my worry add one millisecond to my life? No. Some, some translations that says, can you add one cubit to your height? Can one millisecond of anxiousness and worry cause me to be taller? No. And so anxiety and worry lie to us because they're fruitless. They're pointless. They gain us nothing. All our anxiety, all our worry. How much has that ever changed? How much has that ever gained for us? How much has that ever improved our life? Has it ever made you truly more secure? And then consider this haunting question in verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Here's what anxiety does. It reduces our life down to animalistic instincts. Like all I'm worried about is bodily needs and bodily desires. Taking care of this shell that is going to pass away. And so it strips the deeper and more meaningful things of life. It robs us of what life what brings life true purpose and true meaning and true joy. Oh, our lives are so much more than just satisfying bodily cravings and giving our time and energy so we can have things that can satisfy our bodily cravings. I mean, even the world recognizes this, right? How many stories and movies and TV shows have as the hero, the guy or the woman who recognized that their life was meaning and meaningless and empty? I mean, this is like every Hallmark Christmas show. The main character is like, oh, I'm this high, high-powered ad executive, and then I go to this small town and realize I've been missing the most important things of life. Like, the world gets this. How much more so, so should we? Especially when Christ offers us true life, he offers us in the kingdom. And so to battle anxiety, we need these counter signals. We need to let the truth of God's immense love and care break in and silence the lie of anxiety. We need the truth of the futility of anxiety to disrupt the lie that anxiety will actually bring us security and comfort and control and identity. Are you listening to anxiety? But even more, are you listening to the counter signal of the gospel? And then seek the kingdom. Jesus calls us to consider, and he also calls us to seek his kingdom. Because anxiety will reveal kingdom allegiances. When I am anxious, I need to ask, what is it I value? What is it that I love? And then I need to ask, whose purpose do I seek? Whose kingdom am I seeking? And so to battle anxiety, you must turn from the kingdom of self and seek a greater kingdom. Verse 33, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom? First, to seek the kingdom means to seek the king. See, true security, true comfort, true identity is found in God through Jesus Christ. And so when that anxiety rears its ugly head and we are exposed to the things that we most grab onto as our sources of security, we have a choice to make. Am I going to run after those things and double down in those things? Or am I going to go 
to the king? Am I going to go to the one who truly brings security and comfort and identity? When I let go of earthly things and seek Jesus, this is where I find freedom. So what what does it mean to seek the king? What does it mean to seek God? Well, let's not complicate this. What, what What did Jesus tell us earlier in this chapter? It starts with a call to prayer. Like dealing with all of the things of this earth, so like forgiveness and and pursuing treasure and dealing with anxiety and anger, all the things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount is anchored in going to God in prayer. Like going to our Father who provides for us and cares for us and loves us. And so we seek the Lord in prayer. We seek the Lord in his word. We, We go to him and commune with him. We come on Sundays and we worship And we rehearse the story of the gospel. And here's why this is important. And and, and lock in with me on this. Because here's what anxiety wants you to do. It wants you to run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Like when I'm feeling anxious, this is me. When I'm feeling anxious, this is what I do. I clean the house. I get all my stuff in order. Why? Because when I'm anxious, I got to do something. I, I I have to have this flurry of activity. Jesus says, come sit at my feet and rest. Come to me and lay down that burden. Anchor yourself in your relationship with me. Find comfort, not in your activity, but in me. Anxiety wants you to run around anxious and all worked up. Christ calls you to rest. This is why sitting with him in prayer, sitting with him in the word, communing with God, being vulnerable in quiet it's so important because it anchors us in the person of Jesus Christ and resting in him. And then we seek kingdom righteousness. See, anxiety has its own form of righteousness. It tells us what are good uses of time and energy and resources. We battle anxiety, we seek the kingdom when the kingdom defines a righteousness for us. So when the kingdom determines our loyalty and our use of money and our time and our resources, we're seeking the kingdom. We're seeking the kingdom and we're battling anxiety when you give generously and sacrificially rather than holding on tight-fisted to your money and your resources. You seek the kingdom and you battle anxiety when you love and serve other people rather than trying to build an identity by impressing them and putting on a show for them. When the the kingdom of God orients how we spend our time and what we pursue, when we live for the glory of Christ and his gospel to see that his grace and mercy and righteousness and justice transform our city, that's when we seek the kingdom and we're battling anxiety in the midst of that. And then finally, stay in the present. In verse 34, Jesus tells us, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Look, anxiety always wants to take us somewhere other than the present. It always wants to take us into the future. Don't pay attention to what's in front of you right now. Worry about what could be. And so it is always prophesying to us about what is to come. But as counselor and psychologist Ed Welch so rightly points out, worry is a false prophet. In the Old Testament, a prophet was only as good as his word. 
Like if what he said came true, actually came true. And it had to be as exactly as he said. Worry is more like a horoscope. It's, it's so vague and general and it never really comes true in the way that we, it says it's going to. It's always telling you something is going to happen and then it never happens. And the moment worry doesn't come true, we should say, hey, you're a false prophet and I'm done listening to you. And so worry wants to pull us into the future. Christ says, be with me right here. Seek the kingdom today. Because what is present for us today? Grace. What is present for us today? God's spirit. God has given us things today. There are troubles, there are challenges today. And he's with us today. And perhaps tomorrow has troubles. Perhaps tomorrow will be difficult. But what will be meeting you there? God, grace, his spirit will be there. But God calls you to be present right now. Look at what he has for you right now. Be present with him right now. Be present with the people that you are with right now. Parents, how often does your anxiety pull you from being present with your kids? Present with your spouse, husbands and wives. How often do we miss what God has for us and how he wants us to serve and love and proclaim the kingdom right today because we're so worried about tomorrow? Seek the kingdom today. Be present today. Church, I know that this struggle is hard and it is real. Most of you in this room know Mindy and I's story. We have walked the past four and a half years through an intense wrestle with anxiety and mental illness. But let me, let me frame it this way for you. I'm standing on this stage because God is in, faithful in the midst of all of that. Like you know our story and how God worked in spite of Mindy's OCD and all the pain that that had, had brought into our lives. And that we're here with you guys because God is faithful. And so even if you are struggling, even if some days it feels like you can't even get out of bed, know that God is faithful to you and his kingdom is at work in your life and he will use you and wants to use you and intends to use you. Your anxiety, your fear, your worry are not more powerful than the kingdom of God. And so don't disqualify yourself. Trust in the Lord. Lean into what he wants to teach you. Listen to what he is speaking to you through your anxiety, but let his word and his goodness speak more truth over you. And let's seek the kingdom together. Amen.